Welcome to Inclusion at Work, where we show the value and abilities of people with disabilities. I'm Larry Rothstein. Today's guest is Jim Sinochi, who is the founder of Disability Solution Strategies, the former head of the Office of Disability Inclusion at J.P. Morgan Chase. And previously, Jim was the director for corporate communication at the IBM. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Uh, it's been an extraordinary journey for you uh, as you move from the able-bodied world when you were a young man to where you are now and all of your experiences in the corporate world. So if you don't mind, can you take us back to that time in your life when you were an outstanding swimmer and were in college and actually were coaching others and to the accident that changed your life? Sure. It, it really uh, was a triumph as we lived in New York City in the South Bronx. Oh. And back in that day, the South Bronx uh, wasn't you know, the, mo the nicest neighborhood uh, in, in New York City, and it was one of the poorest. Um, we grew up across from a park, St. Mary's Park in the Bronx, and uh, we lived in a five-story tenement ha house. Uh, my two brothers and sisters and my mom and dad and when uh, New York State put in housing money, we moved next door to a 20-story project development where we lived on the 19th floor. And so we lived there. We went to school in the South Bronx. And at the time, uh, the South Bronx wasn't considered a good neighborhood, although I lived 10 blocks from um, 20 blocks from Yankee Stadium where we would walk to the ballpark when we had a few dollars to spend and sat in the cheap seats. So we grew up in that environment. We spent, you know, time running away from people who were trying to rob us. Um, and so it was a hard place to live in the South Bronx. Um, but we, we got through it. Uh, my dad was of Italian descent and my mom was Hispanic. And so we were a mixed uh, family. Uh, my dad was shot and killed when he was 28 in, mm -hmm. in Harlem. And uh, after that, I was the eldest son of the family. And I did my best to keep my brothers, my two brothers and my sisters, um, my brother and my two sisters together. And, uh, you know, they wanted to break us up and put us into homes. And I didn't want to do that. So we toughed it out in, in the Bronx. And so, um, I ended up going to, uh, I, I, I was a swimmer. After my dad died, my, uh, my grandfather kind of stepped in to help us out and uh, helped us with homework and other things. And my brother and I joined the swimming team. And so we all stayed together. Uh, at the end of my uh, high school swimming career at Evander Childs, where we won this, uh, I was captain of the swimming team and we won the championship in New York City. Um, I ended up going to Colgate University on a swimming scholarship and spent uh, three and a half years there uh, because I had to go back home and help out the family. But Colgate University allowed me to take my courses to finish up in New York while I was home with my two sisters and brother and mom. Um, after that, I got a job at IBM and um, I ended up with a career at IBM for 33 years and ended up as a, a director of, of uh, human resources communications. Uh, a while at IBM, I broke my neck body surfing in Puerto Rico. And so um, I was injured as I was uh, a city college coach with my, with my senior coach. I was an assistant coach in helping underserved kids swim scholarships, et cetera. That, so I did that. And I broke my neck again, body surfing. I was flown home on a Learjet by IBM and uh, landed in New York and ended up at NYU Hospital where I was rehabilitated for about 16 months. And I got into a wheelchair and started uh, working at IBM one day a week until I could build up and have a full career at, at the IBM Corporation. Well, if you don't mind, take us back to that moment when you were body surfing and 
you know, uh, given I, I didn't know about your dad from the materials I read, but you had endured a great deal for such a young person. You're only 25, I believe. Yes. And there's obviously a lot of resilience in you and determination and courage, actually, to do as much as you were doing, given the circumstances. Uh, and you had excelled in swimming. What was that moment like when uh, you realized there was something incredibly different? And I believe I read that there were two surgeries done on you while you were in Puerto Rico before you uh, flew back. Is that right? They, yeah, they, I, they did one in Puerto Rico. Then I flew back home and on, on the jet provided by IBM at no cost to me. And um, they had to help me again because the, uh, the surgery uh, didn't hold as it should. I was a C5, C6 quadriplegic. And that means I'm paralyzed from the chest down. I can move my arms. I have no uh, fingers. Can't move my fingers. And I have no feeling in my hands. So I have little scar burns on my hands when I put my uh, hand on a hot cup or something. So I had to learn all that. So yes, I, I had the, the, uh, the accident was one thing. Getting me home was another thing. Uh, when I got to New York University under the uh, guidance of, um, oh man, why are you going to miss me? I, I don't, it'll come back to me. Uh, Dr. Ragnarsson. Uh, and he, I think, I believe he was Swedish and he helped me quite a bit, you know, to get back up on my feet. And, uh, it was sort of like, I mean, in those days, people were kinder, I think, um, more hopeful. And I, I thought I was just going to die. Um, really, I just didn't know what else I could do. And so, uh, but you know, I got through it. I got through it with a lot of help, a lot of friends, and many of whom I still stay in contact with over the last uh, 33, 35 years that I've been paralyzed. And I read that uh, it was like a five-year period where you had to deal with the emotional impact of the mm -hmm. surgery and the, the injury and all the rehabilitation, and that you had, uh, you know, you didn't say you were angry, but you were sad because you obviously had left behind another kind of body, another kind of life that you had thought was going to happen. And you didn't know whether you could uh, date again or you could get married or no, you're in or any of that. So I was, um, I was a lifeguard. I saved people in the ocean. I pulled them out. I was, uh, I was trying to make my way through uh, life, given how I grew up, you know, I, I was like, you know, the home alone kid that runs away from the gangs in the, in the streets. You know, I had guys chasing me in the Bronx because, you know, although I was Spanish and Italian, I looked more, more white than Spanish. And I couldn't explain to them that my mother was Puerto Rican and my dad was Italian. So I was like running through the park and trying to get the heck out of the way. But yeah, I, you know, I, I grew up with all of that, but I still had this sense of purpose to help my brother and my sisters. And, you know, my brother got a, a swimming scholarship at Colgate University as well. He was one of the top breaststrokers, like when he was 14 or 15 years old. Um, my sisters, both my sisters went to Syracuse and my other sister went to Colgate. And so we all got into uh, a decent place with a community of people that really wanted to help us. Uh, we were blessed by folks that saw our trying to do better from the neighborhood where we grew up or the culture we were in and we assimilated into society. So um, my, my sisters are, are working. I was working, I'm, I was still, I'm still working. I just left Chase about six months ago and uh, I think we made our way the best we could. So how did you get out of <clears throat> that five-year mood of sadness as you grappled with uh, the patients of the accident? I had a lot of people that for some reason believed in me. I had, uh, I had my, uh, my diversity officer who I worked for, Ted Child, 
was my manager and uh, I was his communications executive. Um, I was also the point person for diversity communications for IBM. So when, when people would come in and try to, um, how should I say, uh, try to tag IBM for not doing enough, I was a, uh, a spokesman for the company that talked about our diversity policy, uh, policies and strategies. And it, I think it benefited the firm that I was put in the job because I was capable, not because I was disabled. And when people call me, they didn't know I was disabled. I was a spokesperson on, on the phone. And I, you know, I knew what our policies was, were, our strategies were. And I was that lead executive there that could talk about um, and at one time, I had to, you know, go back into something, something that I didn't do when I was, I was getting calls from an organization that was alleging that IBM wasn't doing enough. And I ended up telling, and I kind of broke PR rules a little bit. I said, you're talking to a C5, C6 quadriplegic, and you can't tell me that this firm is racist or biased because I'm hired here to do this work talking with you. And uh, I kind of squashed the, a problem that it could have, you know, uh, got worse in terms of what we did. But I lived it. I, I saw what the company did for me. I thought I, I saw that if I would work hard and 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 help the brand, which I was so um, enamored with, based on my history, um, I, I I did the best job that I could and learned a lot about myself and, you know what could be done when people really try to step up. And I didn't know at the time that the disability community was such a uh, sort of like the last rung on the diversity spectrum. You know, we have women, blacks, Hispanics, um, uh, Asians, uh, gay, lesbian, et cetera, military veterans. But the uh, disability community is sort of the last rung on the ladder that gets noticed. Uh, and, and part of that has to do with culture and the inability of people with disabilities to travel, to get out, and 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 we're more debilitated than able-bodied people in some ways. And the uh, infrastructure in the United States has gotten better thanks to the ADA, but it, there's still a ways to go. Well, I read that IBM actually had a long history of uh, being interested in disability going back to Thomas Watson. And that That's is correct. And that there was a culture before the ADA, which your injury was before the ADA or around That's the ADA. Right. But, and that was very interesting to me because they were early on with this idea that their product should be accessible, that they should be supporting their employees to reach their full potential so that your disability sort of fit into that culture uh, without your trying to alter it in your specific case. So uh, I thought that was really interesting that they were so progressive so early, like going back. Was, well, while I was in the hospital in Puerto Rico, uh, John Opal called to find out how I was doing. And so I had the, the highest executives in the company, you know, look at, some, look at my case. And uh, when I got back to IBM, when they flew me back home and I got out of the hospital like 18 months later, I was, um, I was asked if I would talk about diversity and the story about what the champion of diversity at IBM and how I got through it. So I agreed to do presentations to talk to my fellow co colleagues about what IBM did for me in my dire case. And um, I was talking with a, uh, a group of people one day and I told the story and I said, look, I, I understand that Mr. Opal uh, wanted an update with me every day. I said, this is what I heard. I, I don't know. I believe it's true, but I, I can't confirm it because I, I had it by secondhand information. And while I was doing a Q&A, a lady in the room raised her hand and she goes, Jim, I'm so-and-so. I worked for Mr. Opal and my job was to get your update every day for him. 
Well, to let him know how you were doing. He was the CEO I, of the company. Yes. Then? Yeah. Yes. Well, and I, I teared up like I'm almost doing that. Yeah. And um, she and everybody in the room got quiet because, you know, she validated that that was true. I was lying in a hospital. Like I, I didn't talk to anybody, but um, that's what happened. And she says, I was there every day. I had to give him an update before he came in. Well, that, that goes to some something I read that you wrote about, about how to enroll leaders in this journey as they engage with diversity and particularly with people with disabilities. And I guess part of it was the IBM culture. Part of it may have been just who he was. But he even now would be unusual to have that level of concern and interest in uh, this area. So if if we can sort of jump forward for a second. Sure. How do you conceive of what uh, corporate and other business leaders should be doing now to understand what they don't understand? I mean, in general, they're supportive of diversity and increasingly so because they're saying that it improves profitability and helps them retain younger workers, millennials and Gen Z people who are looking for these kind of companies that have open cultures and uh, diverse cultures. But it's not easy, I don't think, to move from wherever you are to a, a more enlightened view of disability, how important it is. I think what's the hardest concept is that, not that the people with disabilities aren't talented, is that they need certain aids to help them pursue their careers. And uh, the image of a person with a disability, and I know this firsthand, is um, very difficult for some people to face. Um, I, I remember going to dinner with my wife and people were ordering dinner around us on the table. And you know, the waiter or waitress would say, hi, what would you like for your uh, dinner and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they would answer. But when it came to me, the, the waiter or waitress asked my wife, and what does he want to eat? I've heard that over, I've heard that many times. I've heard that many times, The particularly a person in a wheelchair, if they're with uh, somebody, the waiter sure. asks that person first, then says, what, what does he or she want? As right. if she's incapable of reading the menu. Well, not only that, but it, it's so when we were coming back from Canada, my wife's family's from Canada, and we stopped at a restaurant, and that's exactly what happened. And the waiter asked my wife, turned to my son and my daughter, skipped <laughs> me over and said to my wife, what does he want to eat? Yeah. And my wife on a, on, a, on a snap said, you better ask him because he's paying the bill. <laughs> there you go. That's. That's the important thing to remember. How big would your tip be if you keep insulting? Well, you know, we didn't hold it against them. We did him, but the guy had turned red. Yeah. But it was just unreal that he would just, you know. And, and you know what? The, the other point is where um, I, I, I give a little forgiveness on this. They don't know what to expect from a person with a disability. Even though I walked in, I say walked in, I rolled in in my wheelchair with a jacket and a shirt on, well-groomed, um, I still wasn't seen as human or someone they could talk with. And so, it, it, and, it, and it still happened. Yeah, I think it's deeply embedded in the culture. And uh, I, I've told this in another podcast, but I uh, before I had my hip surgery, I was on crutches. And when I get on to the MBTA trolley, People would jump up and say, you want to sit down? And actually, it was more painful for me to sit down and try to get up. And I'd always turn them down. And they would always say, are you sure? And after a while, I thought, do they think I don't know whether I want to stand up or sit down? And then one woman became very belligerent. And she told me I was going to sit down. And I said, I'm not going to sit down. And she said, you're going to fall down. And I said, I will fall down if I keep arguing with you. I was like, where is this coming from? So that I think is what it's sort of embedded in the vast majority of able-bodied people. It's just there. But you talk about how to engage in dialogue with people, 
how to educate them or how not to confront them in certain ways. I think that you've learned over time within the corporate world what's effective in well, a different that, That's right. When my my mission was to make and and some of my disabled colleagues around the country are ang- get angry with me because they don't feel that um, an explanation is, is warranted. And I said, I could not do my job with, without explaining to people who are able-bodied what really goes on. So when I was hired at J.P. Morgan Chase, um, we launched a hiring initiative there to bring people in who were qualified to work there. And in my first few months on the job, I got a few calls from people that said to me, I could send you 100 people with disabilities to work there. And my retort was to do what? Are they they qualified to work here? So we hired qualified people at the bank to work there. And, and, And it's like in any other business. If you work at McDonald's, you've got to get people that are qualified to work there, not only uh, physically, but uh, with an education to do the work. And at Chase, we did the same thing. You know, we hired the people that were qualified to work there. And if there was a gap with their disability, then we put programs in place to make sure they can get into the building, that there were automatic doors. We, had, we, we built a captioning service that was in-house at Chase. It's still there now and flourishing. So we put in accommodations programs that would help people uh, be able to navigate the landscape in the buildings. You know, braille buttons, captioning on all videos that go on. So we, we started to make the firm more inclusive of people with disabilities. And when we didn't know how to uh, make an accommodation system work, we went outside with other partners to figure out how to do it, along with the medical team at J.P. Morgan Chase. And so they were very good about uh, being right up front and embracing this area. And it did cost the firm an investment in, in money and time in order to get this done. So we worked with technology. We worked with real estate. We worked with human resources. We worked with all the groups to figure out um, what was the best way to help a person. And look, I know a, a little bit about disability inclusion, but I don't know any everything. And I too learned from how do you work with blind people? What, what do you need? How do you work on a company's technology systems so that they're accessible for everyone? Uh, when you work for a bank with, you know, millions of transactions and software in there, it becomes very daunting and complicated. And, you know, that's going to take, look, I was there like five, five plus years. And, um, you know, we couldn't fix everything in five years, but that, that movement, that work still has to go on in terms of leveling the playing people for people to work there. Well, where did the initiative come from? I mean, it obviously had to come from the top so that, and you were brought in, you were sort of retiring from IBM yep. and and create a, a separate office for disability inclusion and, and back it up with the, as you said, you know, the resources you keep identifying things that are going to cost money and also are going to cause managers and other employees to say, well, what's going on here? What, you know, how do I interact? I mean, what do I do? the able-bodied uh, well what, what i what i learned when i got there was that the 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 woman who hired me pat david was head of um diversity for uh jp morgan chase corporation her boss was john donnelly who reported to jamie diamond and you know those three plus others i'm sure uh john donnelly pat david and jamie diamond said let's do this we want a diverse company. So I was very enamored by what the firm did. And so we built it from there. And that said to me, um, I walked in with a plan. Uh, somehow they, they found me through um, Deb Daggett. You know Deb Daggett? No. She's an icon in the, in the disability community. And uh, she got in touch with uh, Pat David. 
gave her my name and I came in and said, I'll, I'll, I had just moved out of New York City up into Massachusetts and my wife and I just got here at, at, after I retired from IBM. And they said, Jim, can you come down and talk to Chase about disability inclusion? I said, okay, I did a deck on my own, what I would do. I said, Mag, they're asking me to do this. What do you think? She says, let's go for it. And we went down. I gave him a, a 30 page deck. I said, Pat, here's my plan for you. If you like it, um, it's great. I'll consider it. If you don't like it, keep it. And I'll go back home to Massachusetts. So they hired me. But I gave him a, 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 a pitch to get it started. And that's what we did. So, um, and to build something from scratch that is still standing, by the way, uh, was very uh, important to me to see that this can be done when you got people who know how to do it. And although the leadership bought in, there's always the naysayers around disability inclusion. It happens everywhere. Um, but I, for the most part, I think the firm did a wonderful job in trying to do the right thing, and, and we, we prove that, um, and you know, there's always uh, setbacks in anything you do, but the, the ones we had, we took care of, and we moved forward, and we learned from them, and so I, you know, I, we made the firm, I, I, like, I just, I just looked, we were the top company for people with disabilities for four years when I was there. Wow. We were number one on the uh, careers and disabled list. That's fantastic. Yeah. When I looked uh, on this last magazine I got, I saw that we dropped to three since I left. That was, <laughs> well, that, of course. That was, that's I'm not like, to not be expected. To. <laughs> that would be expected. But I still don't look clear. Was it Jamie? What, what motivated them to get into this, to make a commitment? I know you probably made a great presentation, but they had to say, okay, we don't want to exclude all of these people out there who could be our customers and who we want to hire also. And they will bring, you know, the, the pitch from inclusion at work is that they're going to bring innovation and creativity and leadership, you know, that they're valuable. They have talent and we want them in, but somehow they got the idea that that's what they wanted. They, you know, like the, the if you know the firm and, and, and uh, you know, I'm not an expert in the firm. I, I, I learned a lot from them when, when uh, they, uh, put their mind to do something, they do it. They had a great leader. And uh, when I was interviewed, um, I had an interview with uh, Pat David, John Donnelly, Jamie Dimon. And after I finished interviewing with Jamie Dimon, he said, I want you to talk to all of my direct reports around the world. Wow. And I, and I, was, I was terrified because I had to do, I think, at least 10 to 15 more interviews with the top executives in the company. And as you know, you can go into a room with one of these top leaders and I didn't want to make a mistake, right? You, you got yeah, yeah. to keep your story right. You got to help them buy in. And it was a brilliant move on their part because they knew what I needed to do. So when I had a call up in South America or England or Australia or wherever we had, they all knew this thing was going to happen. And what's happening. And I thought it was a brilliant move on the part of the company to say, we're going to do this. And we started rolling out programs around the world, which I, I, I believe are still going now. Um, well, how was this experience different from uh, your experience at IBM? You, you did get involved in disability at IBM also, right? Yes. And, well, uh, I cut my teeth at IBM. Yeah. I was the guy that had to figure out from my learning about a disability personally to what it feels like, what it looks like, what the needs are, and explain to people what I learned that would help other people. So I knew how I had different constituencies there, right? I had the deaf, I had the blind, I had the neurodiverse, which is very complicated. Um, I had the mobility impaired, uh, and we have uh, people with mental illness, and the stages blur. And so what we tried to do, what I tried to do was just get our arms around 
what was needed and then figure out how to solve the problems that weren't solved strictly with HR. Because HR really didn't understand disability inclusion. They were used to dealing with able-bodied people. And that takes time in order to get to a place where the reason why IBM was so um, honored in terms of disability inclusion, when I was at IBM, we would go to shows with IBM and show our disability inclusion technology programs that we were trying to do based on other executives that had those experiences with their children or families. So by the time I was at IBM, IBM was already doing things like that. And it just expanded once I got there. So it's, I think we put it even more on the map than it, than it was before, but, but they were always in the, uh, the leadership plays when it came to things like this. You know, one of the things that's very interesting about what you're just saying is one of the reasons that the disability community has not had as much progress as other groups is that they are divided upon, along these different kinds of disabilities. So it's harder for people to say, all right, well, we were dealing with the deaf and now with the blind and now in the mental, I mean, I can't get my head around all these things I have to do to deal with them. You as a person within the disability community was also having that same challenge. You had to learn about the different constituencies and figure out what will they bring to this company and what do we have to do? This is gonna be different. You know, if you're dealing with somebody who's neurodiverse is, and the accommodation has to be different than somebody who's blind, but they're both bringing talent and abilities here. So what do we need to do? And that's not easy, but it also is challenging. It's a learning experience for you, I would think. Well, well I, ha I had to learn that, you know, I had my, uh, I was a little bit myopic because I'm, I'm a C5, C6 quadriplegic. I know that. I don't know blind that well. I don't know deaf right. that well. And you have to get into the, and so what we did, what I've always tried to do is you tell me what you need. You tell me, you know, and that, that's how that works. I'm not the guy that knows everything about it, but I, I'm the guy who's comfortable with it and trying to find a way to make them part of an organization that uh, some people are skittish to talk with. And it, and it still happens to this day. When I, my wife is able-bodied and she's uh, beautiful. Um, and that's not a lie, it's true. She's very beautiful. <laughs> and so people would walk up to us when they saw her, not thinking that she was married to me and thinking that she was my aide or something. But you know, we, we learned together in terms of how to work with people that are interested in this, but too afraid to approach me, but they would approach her. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. They would approach her and she would say, talk to Jim, he'll tell you. It's you like know, that kind of again. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, and so it still goes on and, um, and, and it still happens today. You've got to find the way. And I try to find a way to break the ice. I, and um, instead of talking about the accommodations are important, but I don't limit the disability community to be pushed into jobs that are more menial or not um, or, or don't have a career path. I, I have to get the people with disabilities to think about because they're talked down to since they're born with their disabilities. And the idea, do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be a doctor? What do you want? You want to be an airline pilot? Whatever it is, the, the disabled are limited at birth in terms of what their potential may be. And I don't see it that way. Yes, so uh, when, when you uh, were hearing and listening and uh, asking people with different disabilities, what do you need? Then you have to go back to the company and say, now I need from you an allocation of money for all of the things I imagine it's not always easy because, you know, they, everything has to At be just Chase, it was easy. When they brought me in, they knew they'd had to make an investment. Okay. And the top leaders were very uh, generous, but business-like about what they needed, what we needed and why we needed it. And so we put in a captioning team there that wasn't there before. Uh, we started uh, making all our video uh, 
clips accessible. We started incorporating disability inclusion everything we do. From the new building that's going up down in Manhattan now, it's all accessible. They had an accessible accessibility team do it. Um, the, the bank side of the house had disability inclusion strategies based on law where banks had to be accessible for companies. So um, I, I think they did a real good job in terms of starting that and, and making it right to go forward. Um, it takes a, it, it, it's taken a long time. Um, I still think there's a lot more to do. But that, you know, when I talk about my four A's, uh, attitude, accommodations, assimilation, and accessibility, the attitude is so important. And that's what I try to do. How do I get the top executives and their leadership teams to think about this when, um, when they want to hire? Because everybody gets scared about hiring a person with a disability. And, it's, and the other part is when I talk to my other sister groups in uh, disability inclusion and uh, the uh, equal opportunity uh, strategies that we had, there were, there were, the black community has disabled people. The Hispanic community has disabled right. people. Women are there, gay, lesbian. But those groups have not, in my view, up until now, embraced their disability. And I had to remind them, you have disability people in your groups. Where are they? And it's a mindset change that has yet to be accomplished, basically. Yeah, uh, you and I agree about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. That, you know, I think I mentioned when I was watching the Academy Awards, the year that Crip Camp was up, it was done in the, uh, yeah. the, the uh, train station the, uh, 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 in Los Angeles, and they built the platform. And if Judy Human was there, which she wasn't, unfortunately. And if they had won, which they didn't, <laughs> I don't know what they would have done to get her up onto the stage, like pull her up on the stairs. I mean, they, all they had to do is- She's was, an icon. I love the movie. Yeah. I, I, and all you had to do is put a ramp. I know her well. Stage, and she put a ramp instrumental yeah, getting so, this done. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's kind of obvious. And it was, a, a, you know, after the whole- uh, controversy about uh, all white nominees. So there were many black presenters and many actors who were being nominated and yet oblivious to this thing. So, uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right about that. There's a couple of other things I want to get to. When, how did you meet your wife, your beautiful wife? She is really beautiful too. No, <laughs> no um, I want a picture. <laughs> I, I met her at, at uh, work. I was uh, the guy that came back uh, from my accident and uh, I was put into a communications team because uh, I, had, I had a skill set with my, uh, my Colgate uh, degree and my master's degree so I could write, I can think. And so, and, and my point was my body doesn't move, but my brain moves. And you hire me for my brain, not necessarily for my body, right? I couldn't be a police car on horse, a police officer on horseback, but I, I could sit in a chair and write, communicate, uh, write speeches, uh, write stories and, and, and do what I did. So, um, you know, I, I had a full-time job with the full-time load and I had, you know, certain managers that just said, this guy's good, I want to keep him. Um, and it, it had come up. Do you want to keep this guy, Sanaki? He's great. He's better than some of the able-bodied people here. So you get that, you know, that kind of stuff goes on, right? So the idea is I, I, I forged ahead. I, I wasn't the best worker, of course. There were other, you know, other speech writers, but I would die to have their skills. But I did what I did and, and made my way, earned my living. And uh, I did the job. I got promoted. I became a director at, at IBM which was a big deal for me and other people. So, um, and, and I would get, oh, you got the job because you're disabled. Really? Yeah. Really? No, I don't think so. And did you, you meet your wife when you were doing- I met my wife at the job. Um, she was uh, working in administration and then she moved up to 
becoming a writer. You know, she was moving up the line. Um, and we started working together. She was, you know, she was, um, she not only had a big heart, but she was non-judgmental. And, and if you're a jerk, she'll call you a jerk, you know? So um, we met that way and we worked together. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and I fell in love with her and I was terrified to ask her to marry me because she was, you know, beautiful, able-bodied woman who, you know, I had, and I'm the guy in the wheelchair that looked gawky and, uh, but we hit it off and it was a hell of a thing uh, when I was thinking about like, I want to ask her to marry me and what the hell. So um, I did. And she, and she said, says, yes. let me think about it. And she said, yes. So oh. it was the, and we're, we're together now 33, 34 years. And you have two children. I have two kids. I have two granddaughters. Uh, my son uh, works for the government or used to. And uh, he's uh, done very well. He was uh, stationed in Iraq and, during the war. Uh, we were terrified about that. And uh, oh. my daughter's an attorney as well. We've got two granddaughters. So um, I have a full family. And, you know, that's the other part of this that's sort of important. Because I'm disabled, it doesn't mean that I know, don't know how other families operate. I operate in a family. So I'm not different. I just do things differently. And people don't understand that. I am the head of my household. My, my, uh, my daughter and my son are very, you know, how should I, they respect us. And so there's no difference in terms of how the family works here. I'm still called dad, she's called mom, uh, and uh, we're a team. It, has it been easy? No. Um, I had several surgeries during my lifetime when the spinal cord got all messed up. Um, so um, we, we worked through it. But I, 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 I live, I know what other people go through. I just do it differently. Yeah, it's the commonality. It's the, you know, we're all from families. We're all. Dealt. I mean, we love, we cry, we fight, right. we're yeah. afraid. We go through all the normal emotions, but I've just got to figure out how to do it differently. The biggest uh, issue is that with disability inclusion and wheelchairs and, and accessible cars and vans, it costs more, my, my, my cars and, and a van can top $100,000 when they put in all the hand controls. Oh, wow. Who can afford that? Yeah. But I've had to buy three or four cars like that because I ran them to the ground when I was driving to work, when I was doing things and stuff like that. So the costs are astronomical when you're disabled. And so that's why you see more people getting aid rather than getting help to get out of the aid. Right. Well, that's, that's just a whole other issue with that. Well, that's an issue that I was trying to push at Chase in, in, at a, as a policy play to say, why don't you help people with disabilities get educated and find jobs well, rather than just giving them a check? Just because you're disabled doesn't mean you can't work in an environment that's difficult. Well, we have this perverse uh, system of uh, Social Security uh, disability yeah. Um, if, if your savings go uh, beyond a certain point, then they start re re reducing your benefits. And I know uh, uh, Sherrod Brown and, and uh, several other senators filed legislation to, to increase it. And then it got lost within the changes around the, the battles last year. I don't even know what happened to it, but it's you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Why well, are we, we got changed to insane. Pro provide with a couple of senators. I, I, they're online someplace about a policy to change that to help yeah. people with disabilities. Yeah, you know, while, while I got the ear of the bank while I was there, the, the bank was terrific in terms of listening and, and, and calling a few senators to try to get them to do that. Don't keep us on the dole. Let us earn it and, and help us get off the dole and get jobs. We all want to work. I know. And, and, and uh, I, I just had a meeting with a young woman who graduated from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, is there any professor studying disability and benefits? And I said, no. I said, well, <laughs> well there, that's fairly ind indicative. There's not a lot of scholarship research being done 
that, you know, Chase could even use. You know, it's, it's remarkable to me that we're spending literally billions of dollars when we don't have to. We have a 10 million jobs plus that need people in them. And we're fighting over immigration when we have a workforce that wants to work. We just have to figure out how to bring the two sides together and get well, look, but, but to your point, in my 66 years on the planet, uh, this this era right now is so disturbing to me. It's like we've got, gotten backwards in terms of progress. And uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. The, the other thing I just wanted to note that's not in our, our notes was that um, poverty in people with disabilities by race and ethnicity, it, it's white is 23%. Black is 36%, Latinx is 28%, Indigenous is 34%. So we've yeah. got all of these groups, and, and this is a, a minor point in terms of disability strategy, because we could talk about the same thing with households with disabilities, that it, it, it is it's up to 30% in terms of what's going on. And, you know, that's not, a, not good to see. And, and, it, and it means that Instead of people trying to get off the, the government uh, dole, if you will, they'd rather sit home and collect money. And I, I just don't think it's, it's, it's going to be good for the country. No, it's not. And it's not good for the disability uh, community. And it's not good for any of us. Let me just quickly, uh, <clears throat> you're involved with an association around travel and the airlines. I think we, we talked about. I was the chair of the airline Carrier Access Act. And what we did there was work to see how we could better accommodate people with disabilities on airplanes. Now, I flew in an airplane in my wheelchair only one time. I think it was like Southwest Airlines, where I got, I didn't have to get carried off, off my wheelchair and put into a seat. They, they put me in a plane, locked me near the front, locked me down, and I got on and off the plane for the first time ever without being lifted three or four times. Yeah, wow. <clears throat> so the idea was we were trying to get as a group, and we had people from all over the country, try to figure out how to improve airline travel for people with disabilities. Um, and I think we stopped short of getting the wheelchair on it. So um, I think we've got more to do. And, and uh, Buttigieg was supposed to be a champion of that, which says, you probably know I haven't heard from uh, since the election of Biden. So uh, we, we hope that'll change. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I think uh, President Biden uh, has a cabinet that is all able bodied, as far as I can see, and that disability has slipped substantially from the agenda, or if it was ever really on the agenda, because- Well, I, the president has a disability in my eye. I know, so. I know, <laughs> absolutely. But uh, we did an interview with John Hendrickson, who is a stutterer and uh, editor at The Atlantic and just has a new book out. He did a wonderful article, which is why there's a book now about interviewing Biden. And Biden is sort of a denier you know, he doesn't, he's from the, you know, he's 80. So in, when he grew up, you wanted not to talk about it and overcome it. Whereas John is from, uh, he's in his thirties. It's something he wants to write about so people can understand what he's gone through and also deal with him. As he got a job on the Denver Post, his editor said, well, you're going to have to call people. <laughs> you're going to have to interview them. And they're going to have to figure out how to answer your questions. And it's just going to be different. And he's a marvelous writer. And so he's learned and other people have learned. And he was just at the Harvard bookstore here in Cambridge. And he was great. You know, and just sort of just wait till he catches up his breath and then he talks and then he has to catch his breath again. So it's like everything, any kind of disability, you have to learn. There's a lot of learning involved. And then you start to see the obvious talent. And then you figure out how to work together. So where, where are you now? And what do you see happening in our society? You're obviously not going to stop working in this area, I don't think. Um, 
what's the future for you like the next i know you're retiring but i don't think i i retired from chase i'm free and clear i decided to just lay back and think about things i've done uh two or three um interviews like this uh but i i'm not going out to get them on my own i did start an llc just to see if I've got the energy and the wherewithal to try to do more. Um, I started uh, writing. Uh, I, I, I wrote one piece. I was interviewed, so I put that piece together, and I'm doing this one uh, with you all. And I'm going to see how it goes. Um, I, you know, I'm older now, and uh, um, I, I've just got to figure out what I want to do. I, 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 I've written a lot on my... Uh, blog called view from the chair it's on google you could take a look at that there are like over 30 to 40 stories there and i want to put that together as a book somehow i've written it in terms of growing up with a disabled family member and having a family and talking about what we did as a family so i i wanted to show another part of disability inclusion rather than us being in some nursing home and sitting down with drawn faces, not doing anything where, uh, you know, we take our kids to the zoo, we'd go to the movies, we'd go to the mall. We did everything that able-bodied people did. And I just showed how a disabled family member with a, with a healthy family, if you will, um, lives like the able-bodied population. Yeah, that's great. You know, and uh, I think you should write a book, as you know, I encouraging to do do that. I, I think more now that we've talked, uh, the, the human dimensions are really important to put down. And uh, <clears throat> I think uh, as negative as I can sound on these broadcasts, I ultimately think the country's values that are exemplified at uh, Chase and IBM uh, of treating people fairly and equality ultimately rule. And it's just, it's a struggle right now as other groups are getting ahead under diversity, not to get frustrated and just to make the case again in a multiple you know, different ways to say, hey, <laughs> hello. <laughs> well, you know, if you believe in equality and you really believe in fairness and you believe you need to have talent in this world, here it is. You know, we just join but, us. But you know, I I do I think you're right with that. I still think there's a, a layer of uh resistance to embracing the disabled in terms of business and other things because of the issues needed with accommodations or how people look or uh, they're embarrassed. There's, there's the deformity of, and, and, and that's probably the word, uh, and I'm deformed in, in a technical way, um, offends people or they don't know how to deal with it or they're afraid to touch you because they may get what you have. And, and that has to somehow continue to be worked on to make people comfortable with us. And I, as I mentioned earlier, people in my community say, I don't have to make them comfortable with us. Well, I said, I don't think we'll get ahead with the stick in terms of beating them up to get comfortable with us. No. It, it, it takes learning, it takes education, it takes understanding, and uh, among all, it just takes a lot of love for people that are disenfranchised when it comes to disability that can't get there. And that's the sad part. I, I think my work is not just about disability. It's about helping humanity get their arms around this stuff, getting yeah. their arms around the indigenous. And don't give me help. Let me learn how to help myself. Educate me. Um, let me figure out with you how I could do a job where I don't have five people trying to help me. That's what a, a lot of us want. Yeah, and I, I think that's where people have to move. I mean, as you know, it's been decades of charity fundraisers. It's all, that's where the embedded reaction of the server comes from. It's so many thousands and thousands of images of charity and helping people in that manner. You just have to create new narratives and new stories, which is you know what inclusion of work is really about. It's just the more stories, the more humanity, the more love will arise. People will just say, you know, okay, it's fine. You know, I, I guess I 
kind of was prejudiced, but it's okay because I didn't know. And now I know. And I had a, we had a great breakfast together and sure we can work together. Yeah. And I, it really has to come from, uh, you can't expect this group of people, this population to figure it out themselves. It has to be an interchange. It has to be an exploration together. And the impetus really has to come from the disability community that I think, you know, they have, because they understand it. It's like Dr. King. I mean, all of the marches was, they weren't designed to really create the violence. It was to show the humanity of African-Americans and to force people to say, look at what we're doing here. What is the matter with us? (laughs) We're sending dogs after people who are just walking down the street. We have to look at ourselves somehow. We have to change this. And, and that was a great insight into human behavior. Um, anyways, uh, you know, I think your story, uh, now that we've talked, is even more remarkable. And you've done great work in the world already. I expect that you'll probably do some more great work in the world. And uh, I, I'm always very uh, optimistic after I talk to people in these interviews that it's just a question of more discussion, more talk, more education, and it may take time, but it's it'll happen. It'll fall, you know. This last, well, my, but you know what? Th- those are all right. But what I wanted to do at Chase was deliver results, and, yeah. I, and I, I enumerated the results with the four A's. And you, you have, I've never heard of that until I did it at IBM. In terms of what are the buckets to look at to bring in a disabled community to work for you. And no one ever thought about it like that because they didn't have disabled people to help them. IBM did have some disabled people blind and who could code and stuff like that. But to get the rest of us in there requires more thought and bringing in successful disabled people to do the job. Even in my career, I had people that I felt could have been a little bit disingenuous because I'm sitting in a wheelchair trying to push something. They we're uncomfortable with. And that's what happens. And so I always try to bridge that gap, but it doesn't always succeed. So it's easier to get rid of a person with a disability and keep them on and, and work through what you have to work through. And, and the, the last thing I, I never wanted to do was put a burden on the able-bodied population in terms of my work. I wanted to manage my work, control my work, and do my work, not have anybody else do it for me. However, uh, in large corporations, the camaraderie is very important, right? There's no one person that can run that whole business by themselves. They need partners. And that's what we, we, we don't have enough people who are disabled in top organizations that could be part of those networks. Right. That's absolutely true. Yeah. We did an interview with David Raynaud, who's a producer, writer for the good doctor, he's paralyzed. He said the same thing. You know, it was such a struggle for him to get a, to be an intern after right. he went to medical school. He was already a doctor. He decided right. to become a writer. So he said, you know what interns do? They go do errands for people. I can't do it. I can't run out and get right. a hot dog. Right. And he, he got this job and he said, you know, it's great that I got the job. It's a hit series. But till there's more of me in positions of authority and to make decisions, it's going to be a so right. battle. Yeah, absolutely. And there are still people in those positions that are quick to let people go who are different because they're yeah. not comfortable with them. Yeah, well, that that's that's really underlies everything. I think always there's this fear and discomfort, and it's that's what has to be addressed in a variety of until, ways. Until until a member of their family becomes disabled. And that's when I get the call. Yeah, well, that's that's always true. Hello, right? Hello, right. <laughs> I think it was Orrin Hatch joined with Ted Kennedy on some bill uh, uh, reforming in the, I don't remember now, in the area of disability. When his daughter got a disability, he immediately shifted out of being an ultra conservative to saying, we should get the federal government involved here because there's oh, hello. a lot of money yeah. for research. It's it's human nature. you know. That's you always the case. You're right. Yeah. yeah, you don't get it till you get it. Well, I want to thank you uh, profoundly because this was a great conversation. I think it will be enlightening. I do uh, ask people to go to your blog. We'll put up uh, information about that. And the four A's are great because, you know, it's four A's. It's, it's crystallizing things in a manner that's very operational. 
and result. The fifth A is accountability that we added at Chase. I just stuck to my my brand with the four A's there. But accountability is is another point that um, you could have the four A's, but if you don't have leadership and accountability for it, the four A's won't help. So you need people with courage to say, we're sticking with this play. Just like they stick with Blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. For example, yeah. and GLBT, where's the disability community? They're not in the lights in corporate America. So, and they should be. Well, that's why we want to get inclusion at work up. I mean, they've got to see it. They really have got to catch up with the other groups. Uh, and, and one of the other uh, podcasts with Tess Chenowitz, the researcher at Harvard, is saying that people with disabilities have advanced in the last 14 years 3%. And at this current rate, it'll take them 200 years to catch up to everybody. That's right. well, on. I'm not going to make that for sure. I'm running out of time, too. Yeah, so, so we, we got to speed this up somehow and create well, a place. Let's hope. I, I, I thank you so much for doing this and for uh, taking it seriously. I, I hope, you know, with your skill set and uh, that of your colleague online, that uh, we can make a, a dent in this thing and, and hope more people get to understand this better.